Hey, queens and kings, this is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things Podcast, a podcast for women, where the conversation is about us, our relationships, and every aspect of our lives. This show is about unity, support, kindness, and keeping it 100% real. So we can rise up, move, we've got the victory, burn us Hey, queens, kings, and good people. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast. I am Sharana Reeves, and welcome back to part two of Black Women and Therapy. Happy belated Juneteenth to those of you who celebrated Juneteenth over the weekend. Happy belated Father's Day to all of you fathers who tune in to These Three Things Podcast and listen to the show. I hope you had a wonderful Father's Day I have to make today's entry into the episode quick because there's so much for you to hear in the episode and I really want to try to keep it under an hour for you. I want to give a shout out to all of you who have reached out to me and shared that this episode has pushed you into therapy, something that you've known you've needed to do for a really long time and you realize that therapy is truly self-care. So kudos to all of you who are getting in and unpacking things that you need to unpack getting in and seeing a therapist to heal from things that you've yet to heal from, getting into therapy and choosing to no longer hurt other people because you are hurt, Uh, getting into therapy and moving past old wounds and trauma. It is worth it. It feels good to be free. So kudos to each and every one of you who have shared some of your story with me, who have reached out to me and are now in therapy. That's what this is all about. It's okay to not be okay all the time. So let's get into this week's episode, part two of Black Women in Therapy. We open up part two with me asking the question to executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson and licensed therapist, Leslie Fye. What is the therapist's role in being culturally competent? So let's get into it. There's a lot of great information and insight in this episode. I hope you enjoyed as much as you have enjoyed part one. I'll see you at the end of this episode with these three things. Enjoy. Cultural competence is really important as a therapist. Talk about that. What does that look like in a practice? Wow, that's a really good question. I think cultural competence, at least for me, begins first with being really Mm -hmm. self-aware, understanding how much there is I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in graduate school, we took several classes in multicultural counseling, and you get big overviews of big issues, and and you understand all of those, and and that was a good um, baseline for me as a therapist. But it was absolutely not enough to be culturally competent. And um, uh, all I can say is you have to have a little bit of a hunger to, to become culturally competent as a white person. I, I can't speak what it's like to become culturally competent 
as uh, an African-American or any other race, but because our culture is, um, you know, so pervasive, you have to be hungry to see Mm -hmm. and understand that the world doesn't look the way I think it looks. Right. Um, um, As a therapist, honestly, to become culturally competent, you have to know where it is in your personal story mm-hmm. and the why and the the what is wrong and what needs to be corrected. Right. Um, so uh, uh, over the years, um, I have just learned that I really have to listen to clients who come in with a different cultural background um, with way more open lens Mm -hmm. and the you know again my favorite word that you said is curiosity curiosity Mm -hmm. and compassion um are the two things that I think you have to bring to um therapy when you're sitting across from someone who's a different culture than you are yeah um and and then you have to be willing to to learn and not just read the textbooks you know I in 2020, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I've had this hunger my whole career, mm-hmm. and I think I've always worked well with African-American clients mm-hmm. and people of color, but it wasn't until 2020 that I realized how much I didn't know. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I shared this with you. You did, yeah. Um, you know, when... Ahmad Aubrey happened. That was the first time that I realized I send my 17-year-old white son out into the world every day and Ahmad Aubrey happened and I realized my dear black female friends have never felt the kind of safety sending their boys out the door. Mm-hmm. And it just split me open in a way that I completely, I didn't completely, I began to understand, Leslie, you don't, you don't have any idea. And so I, I started, I quit reading textbooks Mm -hmm. and blog articles and started reading books that black authors have written. Mm -hmm. Um, I started reading books that black authors have written about history Mm -hmm. um, and about their own life stories and their trauma. I understand trauma really well, Mm -hmm. but I began to understand um, more completely just the trauma that happens getting up and walking out the door every day. Do you feel that white therapists don't think that they have to be, and I know you can't speak for all white therapists, but I'm just saying in the general, in general, or just in some thought, do you, do you find that most feel like they can, you know, be a a good therapist for an African-American person without being culturally competent? I hope, you know, I, I think most therapists come in with a heart that is empathetic by nature in general, you don't mm. come to this work uh, unless you're that way. Um, uh, so I think most therapists come wanting to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the course of my career, unless you stay hungry 
And unless you keep wanting to grow and learn, um, like what I know now compared to and how I will sit with a woman of color now Mm -hmm. is very different than the way I would have sat with a woman of color 10 years ago Mm -hmm. even. But who I am now as a therapist is very different. Mm -hmm. And so my, my fear would be that because we live in the predominant culture, that the longer we do this mm-hmm. as white therapists, the easier it is to become complacent mm-hmm. um, and to not keep growing. Uh, I, my hope is, though, that 2020, mm-hmm. um, that the, the, the presidency of Donald Trump, I'm just going to go on and say it, mm-hmm. um, woke therapists up everywhere that we've got to dig in and go beyond just taking a few classes in multiculturalism. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. P. I really like that answer. And, you know, the other thing that I would add is to be culturally competent, you have to acknowledge that you have biases and blind spots and assume that you have them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, like you said, a lot of therapists are have an empathetic heart, um, but might give themselves more credit for being culturally competent than they really are. Because mm. I think that in general, if you see yourself as a good person, you might not want to look at the uglier parts of yourself. Amen. Um, and I remember when I took actually my first cultural competency class in grad school, and an experience that I had was, you know, it was taught by a black woman and a Latino woman, and we were supposed to do reflections every week and kind Mm -hmm. of in a journal to think about different issues. And I remember in our second week where we were just starting them and we were talking about privilege and there were six of us in the class. I was the only person of color and I was the only person who said that I had any privilege, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just as a function of growing up middle class and Mm -hmm. like being able-bodied and, you know, things like that, recognizing those sorts of things. And so I think that um, you really do have to have a humility and recognize and acknowledge that we all have biases. Yes. And I think that if you don't, then they're going to come out in ways that you're not even aware of. So I would say that's a big part of it. And just be willing to do the work, but also recognize that there are a lot of different components of cultural competency. So, I mean, we're talking about race, mm-hmm. yes. but there is ethnicity. Yes. You know, a black person from the Caribbean is going to have a different culture from someone from Africa, from the United States, yes. things like that. There's yes. sexual orientation, there's gender, there are all sorts of age, socioeconomic status. And so I think recognizing that there's a huge mosaic of different aspects yeah. that really shape someone. And so while you can understand maybe generalities of culture, you still have to understand that each person is an individual. And so again, that word about assumptions, um, when you're culturally competent, you you can't have assumptions or you have to kind of maybe have them in the background as an understanding, but test those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what also makes you competent and able to deal with a lot of different sorts of people. Leslie, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but... I want to dig deeper into the work that you've had to do to grow and meet the needs of your black clients, because you and I have talked about that as you know, when I reached out to you on the call to be like, Leslie, I want you to be on the show. Like I want to introduce you to the show and like, have you come on and start, you know, talking about various things. Um, You were sharing with me just like lessons and things that you've learned over the years. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
talk about that, like the work that you've had to do. And you mentioned it a little bit, but I just want to talk about it a little bit more. Like at what point did you realize, and I know 2020 you said it, but I felt like in 2008 when I met you, you were pretty aware, like you were pretty open and I could talk freely with you about whatever I wanted to. So at what point did you realize like I've got to know more here? I think I've always, like I said, been hungry and, um, any, any time, any time a person of color sits in front of me as a white privileged female, Mm -hmm. I have felt so honored that Mm -hmm. they would open up and trust that I have felt obliged to know and do more. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I learn something new every time I, I sit with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, sadly, I, I'm, 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 I really am embarrassed to say that as willing as I was in 2008, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't as aware of the things I didn't see and the biases I did have just from blindness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recently I was sitting sitting with a, a woman who whose daughter was actually my client, and she's become a friend of mine mm-hmm. now. And we were just talking. We're in a book club together. Mm-hmm. And um, she was just talking about experiences with her teenage daughter and how she worked so hard to protect her daughter in the school system Mm -hmm. because her daughter couldn't be perceived a certain way Mm because her daughter was this magnificent, beautiful, bold, outspoken Mm -hmm. adolescent. I mean, just amazing. Um, But you know how that bold outspokenness is going to get tagged Mm -hmm. and her mom worked so hard to protect her and make her small and I had never ever understood out of all the times that I sat with her daughter and sat with sat with her Mm -hmm. as the mom and would try to create more understanding and connection between mother and daughter and get mama not to be so hard on her daughter Mm -hmm this whole reason she was hard on her daughter Mm -hmm. that me as a privileged white woman never had a clue about um and and what was that revelation what what did you realize in that that the reason the reason why she was being so hard what did you find that reason to be like she was trying to protect her from you know, being targeted from getting, if she got into any trouble at school, just because she had a smart mouth on her, Mm -hmm. she was going to be treated so totally different in the system Mm -hmm. than a white girl would be. Yeah. And as a mother growing up in this culture, she knew that every day in a way that I didn't know. Yeah. You haven't never had to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so honestly, I think it's, um, realizing what, what I I think it's being a mother and learning more about what women of color have had to go through with their children Mm -hmm. that sort of began to highlight the differences for me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like, this is my only comparison, but, um, 
you know, I'm a therapist. I have my own baggage. I have my own mother issues. So I, I grew up with the wounds that I had with my mother. And it wasn't until I became a mother that I understood how deep and wide some of the problems were mm-hmm. right because out of being a mother I experienced the differences yes. and so there's something about the commonality of that that's made me see things in a way that's the I think the only thing that I've ever had going for me as a therapist is um, you know I, when I sit down with my clients I, I tell them um Good therapy happens when there's a good fit between Mm -hmm. client and therapist. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you some things about who I am as a therapist. I am not, um, I'm not an analytical tabula rasa. You know, you're not going to sit, you're going to sit in front of a very emotional woman Mm -hmm. who shows how she feels. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I offend you, you have to tell me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm very transparent. And I think my willingness to be very real mm-hmm. is the thing. And my comfort level at doing that has been the thing that has maybe helped people of color feel comfortable with mm-hmm. me. At least yeah. I hope that is what it is. Yeah. So when you have um, African-American clients, and I know, you know, we're, our focus is on black women. Mm-hmm. But when you have African-American clients who initially come to you for the first time, this is their first session with Leslie Five. Mm-hmm. Do you address the race issue, Leslie, initially, or do you allow it to just happen organically through the process of therapy? Mostly I allow it to happen organically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have become more bold and adept at identifying when it's showing up Mm -hmm. and naming it first so that it becomes safe. Uh, but I do when, 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 when I sit down with a client of color, you know, I tell them, look, I, I therapy with me is not going to be like going to the doctor, going to the doctor, you sit in front of them, you tell them their problems, they're the expert on the problems, and they regurgitate, Mm -hmm. you know, here's what you're going to do. This is going to be much more of a collaborative process. Um, And I'm going to be listening to you and putting A together with B and C and D, and I'm going to make some assumptions Mm -hmm. about how they fit together. As I make those assumptions, I'm going to tell you what they are. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know, if I get it wrong, I need you to tell me I get it wrong. Yeah. And I I have learned, I can say, because, you know, as a a blonde white female Mm -hmm. in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. there are going to be some things that I don't understand about your world. And I want you to feel really comfortable telling me. Um, when I don't understand it or telling me if I make an assumption that's not correct. Um, So I have learned to say that in the beginning. Um, Years ago, I probably was scared to name when I could hear there was an issue uh, around inequity or race, Mm -hmm. whether it was showing up in the workplace, Mm -hmm. um, and, and and I've just learned that in order to make it safe for people, I have to acknowledge it when it's there. 
You are listening to These Three Things Podcast with Dr. Patricia Thompson and Leslie Fye. We'll be right back. Fear imagines shame. Love imagines greatness. Hey, ladies, we live in a culture that often fuels greatness on the thoughts and energy of fear. Fear of not being good enough, fear of comparison, fear of failure. The seeds of all that fear create imbalances in our minds, bodies, and spirit. Developing a strong mind-body practice steeped in the energy of love is essential to breaking the habits of fear in our lives. If you want to learn more about energy healing and create a mind-body practice that will help you build a life where love imagines greatness, contact Leslie Fye at www.lovebigbiglove.com for a free 30-minute consult. Or follow Leslie on Instagram at lovebigbiglove. That issue of safety is very important to be able to feel like that I can have a conversation with a white person Mm -hmm. about something race related Mm -hmm. and not feel like you're going to be looking at me like, oh, so Mm -hmm. you're going to play the race card. Like everything's not about the race card, but can listen and help. And I want to ask you, like, how does, in, in your opinion, would you recommend black people to analyze Mm -hmm. a white therapist enough to know this person can help me or I need to move on to the next person? Right. That's a great question. Um, Well, the first thing I would say is you, you sit down with them and you listen to your gut. You know, Mm. when, when you sit, and really I would say this to anybody coming into therapy, but um, when you sit with them, do you feel like they saw you uh, or do you feel like they were trying to fix you or impress you? Did, did they see who you were? Did they tell you anything that resonated? Um, did they tell you anything that you didn't already know about yourself? Or did they start giving you assumptions? Did they start putting things on you? Were yeah. they curious? Were they open? I would tell clients, ask them, you know, have you worked with many people of color? Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable working with people of color? And white therapists are afraid to death to answer that question. Um, And we probably all answer it poorly. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to your heart, you'll get a sense of how comfortable they are. And you'll get a sense of how honest they are. Um, and if they can show you they're uncomfortable, they're probably going to be a good therapist to work with. Yeah. If they are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. Yes. I've, I've worked, you know, if, if, if they have a facade up, if you feel a wall, then it, then it may not be very safe. Yeah. Um, and how many sessions should we give that person before we make the decision? Could it be day one? And is, and is that based on just intuition? Like on day one, I feel like this is not a fit. Amen. I, I tell my clients every time, look, you determine whether we're a good fit for each other. Mm-hmm. And you might decide that today when you leave the office. Mm-hmm. You might decide that. 10, 15, 20 sessions in. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we didn't do 10 or 15 or 20 sessions of good work. It just means by session 20, you found the place where I can't take you any further than this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So it can be at any point. And 
you're the one who knows that. I'm an expert in feelings and behaviors and relationships, Mm -hmm. but you're the only expert in you and you know. And fit. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know where your soul feels safe and where it doesn't feel safe. And you don't have to have a well-articulated reason for that. You listen to that in your heart. Yeah. You get on social media nowadays and you can kind of look and see what what is this person's political worldview sometimes? Mm-hmm. What is this person's, um, you know, how do they live out their life on social media? Do they, you can get a sense of that. I mean, yeah. although I don't want, I don't want to be friends with my clients on mm-hmm. social media. You know, I keep, we keep that division but if if i'm going to look for a therapist i'm probably going to be looking and seeing what they're putting out there yeah that's good that's good and see the and and let's segue let's stay in that social media vein because you and i are friends Mm -hmm. on social media Mm -hmm. and i know that you speak openly leslie Mm -hmm. you'll put it out there Mm -hmm. and i know that that's not easy because you and I talked about this last night at dinner too. Right. A lot of times there's plenty of white people out here that disagree with what's happening in the world. But am I really going to put my opinion out there mm-hmm. for everybody to have an opinion about my opinion? Am mm-hmm. I really going to blow up my life for the sake of speaking on what's happening in here and out here in the world? Because right. just as easy as black people know, if we do it too much in certain settings, White people will make our lives hard for us. Mm -hmm. White people know that too. Mm -hmm. They know that my life can get hard too. Mm -hmm. My opportunities can diminish if I'm speaking too much. How have you handled that? Because you speak about it and you call a thing a thing. Right. And I know that's not always been easy for you. Right. And have you experienced the backlash? Have you had the issues? I would say for a long time I haven't, mm-hmm. you know, I just am who I am. And, um, if it causes a problem out there in the world, well, so what? Um, but in, in, in the midst of 2020, uh, I did have it affect me in some ways that really broke, broke my heart. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I lost a few clients, over how outspoken I was in my community, um, particularly following George Floyd. And um, that was heartbreaking because these these are people that, you know, that I care deeply about. Mm-hmm. And um, whether our values line up or not, it hurts my heart that uh I did anything to make them not feel safe. Um, you know, I had a few people ask some questions and mm. make some assumptions. Here's this white woman out there advocating for black people who she's sleeping with. Right. I um, yeah. actually had somebody ask me that. Um, I pulled off of social media after a few really big things happened Mm -hmm. in 2020. Not because I was afraid to be out there anymore, but because I was so brokenhearted that, um, how are we going to, how are we going to fix this divide? How are we, if, if who I am and how I am and as open hearted as I want to be and as good as my intentions are in the world offend 
and break off? How are we going to fix it? And so I went through sort of a dark night of the soul, kind of like, um, you know, I, in my profession, I aspire to be a hope barterer mm -hmm. and the world kind of broke my heart for a little while and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of hope. So I had to kind of go within and, um, find some ways to pull, pour hope back in yeah, and find some ways, um, to not hold so much responsibility emotionally. Yeah. Um, and, and now I think I'm right back where I was, you know, if, if people don't like who I am, well, they'll, they'll just walk around me. Right. They right. just will. <laughs> so were you shocked as a therapist who has, you know, black clients and in the wake of everything that happened in 2020, were you surprised by what you were seeing in the world? Because honestly, for black people, I think for the most part, most of us are like, well, now the rest of y'all get to see how we've been living all this time. Like, this is nothing new for us. Uh -huh. But what for you, was it like, oh, is this really America? Like, what, was it a, an awakening for you mentally as to, like, what was really going on? Or By as a 2020, therapist, no, it wasn't. In 2016 and 2017, that's when I was sort of the naive little white girl going, this is really America. I didn't think this was America. Yeah. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And by 2020, it was, it was less, is this America? And more, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 51, 52 years old. And I'm just now understanding this is really America. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. Do you need to get a handle on your stress? Need to get better control of your emotions? Join the 19,000 plus students who have taken Dr. Patricia Thompson's 21-day crash course in emotional intelligence. You'll learn practical techniques that will help you to manage your emotions, improve your relationships, and get ahead in your career, all in the comfort of your own home. Learn more at her website, silverliningpsychology.com, on the self-study page. Again, that's silverliningpsychology.com. I think that what you shared about how to find a therapist that is a fit is absolutely key because I do feel like, and I have had friends tell me this, coaching friends and colleagues who want to get in therapy that live in areas where like, it's not a lot of black people mm -hmm. that they don't, if I can't go to a black therapist, mm -hmm. I'm just not going to get therapy. And I think that it's important to kind of figure out like how I can find the right fit for me. You know, I think I said earlier, ask, ask the therapist if they're comfortable working with people of color, mm -hmm. maybe ask the therapist in that first situation, that first conversation on the phone or first session, um, a question where race is an issue, mm -hmm. you know, um, whether it's something you bumped into in the workplace, but talk to them about that issue and see how they respond. Yeah. Um, and then you'll get a really good sense of how, how, 
where where y'all can go and are you going to be judged um how how self-aware is the person you're sitting with Mm -hmm. um how curious are they Mm -hmm. and how already informed are they yeah i I just want to really like underline the importance of that because i think um a lot of times as black people we're kind of implicitly in this area where we're trying to not tap into white people's fragility yes and we're projecting them or we're protecting them and so we don't ask the question because we don't want to get the response or make them uncomfortable or get that and I think for your therapy where it's about you getting what you need you got to ask the questions and if they're uncomfortable then you just know from the jump that this person's not a good fit for me exactly Yeah. yeah see I'm on that whole train of I can no longer care about your comfortability white people exactly right. like I love y'all and all <laughs> but it can't be to the demise of me anymore mm-hmm. your comfortability because I do feel like Dr. P that is so true we dance around trying to make you know because it's just been our way. It's how mm-hmm. we've survived. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had we do it innately sometimes and not even realize that we're doing mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. You know, and so I'm very conscious of that now. Like, okay, am I more worried about their comfortability? And I'm over here uncomfortable, but they're right. fine. I, I just yeah. if I've, you have to be an assimilationist in therapy, then you're in the wrong You're in the wrong room. session. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're with the wrong person. Absolutely. Okay. And Leslie, let me ask you this too, because when I ask you the question about you being vocal and speaking out and saying, you know, how you feel about things, obviously white people are going to feel a way about you. But did mm-hmm. you get backlash from black people? Did black people come at you like, who is this white lady, you know, out here in the community? Can we trust her? Not directly. Um, okay. Not directly. But really, honestly, black people were more generous to me than white people were. Like, yeah. black people were like, thank you so much. Yeah. And that made me feel like, I, like that broke my heart even more. Was that they were thanking me for for saying something, um, but it also deepened my resolve that I would never be silent again. That yeah. that my silence was violence. You know, we saw those signs in the George Floyd protests. Yeah. Um, so black people actually were way more generous to me than, um, than I expected. Let's talk about self-care. And Dr. P, I'm going to ask you, what are ways that in the professional world, in the professional setting, in the workplace environment, dealing with the issues that we deal with as black women, what are some ways that we can implement self-care so that we can go and be successful in our work environments and show up as our full selves every day and succeed? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say a big one is getting support. And it doesn't need to be a therapist or a coach. It could just be friends Mm -hmm. or family or having an an outlet to talk about things. Um, Because I think that, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about the strong black woman, I guess, ideology. And I think that a lot of times we might feel like we have to do things by ourselves. We have to be self-reliant. We can't show any emotion. We're supposed to be the caretakers. And as a result, you know, very often we don't tend to our own needs. And so I think part of it is recognizing that as a human being, we all have needs and you're not weak if you need support or if you're struggling. And so, um, you know, I just find a lot of times that when we reach out to people, they're happy for us to reach out to them because we have people who love us, who want to be there for us. And so I would say, don't be shy about 
getting support and talking to people when you need it. Yeah. Um, and I think in that same token, it's really just honoring that you have needs and being mindful of really taking care of them. So, you know, if you're tired, go to bed earlier or, you know, I can say that honestly, through the pandemic, my child has probably been playing more Minecraft than, mm. <laughs> than he should. <laughs> but sometimes I just need the time, yeah. like, you know, that sort of thing. And so just, I think being willing to understand that you don't have to be perfect and that you can take the time to tend to yourself. And then I would say, you know, exercise is a big one. We just know mm. from the research how beneficial it is. Yeah. So whether you're, you know, taking a walk or doing a bit of yoga, like 10 minutes or something like that is better than nothing. Um, but I would say kind of the, the big message would be to check in with yourself, kind of figure out what are my needs and making them as much of a priority as other people's needs. That's good. And Leslie Fah, you know, what do you suggest to people? What do you recommend as self-care tactics? Because just listening to what Dr. P just said, like as a mother who has a career, there's so many guilt. There's so much guilt mm-hmm. that you put on yourself as women all the time with, with, you know, not feeling like you're perfect in every area of your life. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be this boss at work and I'm going to be great. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to be a great mom. And then at night I got to be a great wife to my husband. And there's so much on us that we have to, like you said, take that moment to identify what our needs are, because sometimes we feel guilty for just taking care of our needs. Mm -hmm. How are you recommending self-care to people? Like once they leave the conversation with you, I think one thing that Dr. Patricia spoke to so beautifully is uh, just this whole urge towards perfectionism Mm -hmm. that um, women in general are bathed in, but I think women in color um, are even more alone in. Like, you have to be responsible for it all, and you have to be strong for everything. Um, So... Just trying to introduce, no, the the name of the game is not about perfectionism. Be a little messy, mess up, slow down, let a ball drop. Um, so that, that, that that's one thing is, is helping people understand they don't have to do it all well, you know, yeah. to quit making the to-do list because that is driving up the adrenaline and your fight or flight and anxiety Mm -hmm. um and understand what a to-be list looks like for you you know and um if if it's exercise don't do exercise to check the box yeah do some do exercise that you enjoy Mm -hmm. and if you don't have 30 minutes start with five minutes um but do it in a way that feels good. If it feels good to be outside, then do that. If it feels good to be on a treadmill, then do that. Mm-hmm. If it feels good to get up and turn on the radio and dance, then do that. Um, so seek out moments that bring joy. Um, seek out moments when you are just being present, mm-hmm. whether that's to the person in front of you or to what I sitting here as an individual am feeling right now. Um, so the practice of being present, you know, cause we're such a, we're such multitaskers. We're mm-hmm. always doing right. lots. Um, get off social media, 
you know, I've told people a lot, not completely breaks. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't lose yourself in the dopamine hits and the news scrolling. Oh my God, the news, Mm -hmm. the news. Um, and and then journaling. I mean, that, that's just always every therapist's go to, you know, uh, sometimes we can't just get quiet and sit with our feelings. Like Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of work to learn how to do that but we can all pull out a pen and a paper and start writing and verbally vomit what's going on on the inside yeah um and sometimes just that in and of itself is is a really great beginning um but but i try to encourage people just do one small thing in little bits Mm -hmm. you know do it for five or ten minutes whatever whatever that is yeah and and i emphasize joy and presence and yeah and I would say self-compassion too yes Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. which again for women especially women of color it's hard for us to have Mm -hmm. yes it's hard because we don't see it outwardly given to us Mm -hmm. so we forget that we need it Mm -hmm. you know we forget that we actually need it because we we learn to live without it because you know we just don't see it I don't know how I lucked up and got to know two such amazing women. And I'm not just saying that, like, I really mean that. And I want to ask y'all a question before we close. I want to ask you two questions before we close. What brought you to this, this career, this profession? What made you, this be the desire of your heart to help people be well? And Dr. Patricia, I'm going to ask you first. Um, I guess for me, you know, the growing up as a, minority like very much a minority where I grew up in a small Mm -hmm. town in Canada Mm -hmm. um I think just made me very aware of people in general Mm -hmm. because I think as a minority you tend to observe and kind of figure out how do I fit in here or how do I navigate this sort of situation um and so I think that gave me an interest in human behavior in general Mm Um, and so I actually, in my undergrad, studied sociology because that was what my interest was. Um, but then at some point during that, I realized that if I do this career, I'm just going to write about it. But I really want to be able to talk to people and help them on a more direct way. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, having been the child who a lot of times felt like an outsider Um, and, you know, growing up in that regard, it just, I think gave me a heart for, for people and for, and kind of empathy for people who, you know, felt like they didn't quite belong Mm -hmm. or didn't know how to make sense of things. Um, and so I think as I look back as an adult, that was probably a big driver for me. Yeah. Um, in wanting to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie. I tell my clients, um, you know, part of what makes me a half decent counselor is that I come from all kinds of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I came from a very dysfunctional background, um, and in adolescence and young adulthood, I dove off into alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. And at 22, I got sober. And in rehab. Um, I had a therapist look at me and go, you know what, you are a mess. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I'm a mess. Mm -hmm. And she said, but if you will really dig in and dig deep and get your life straight, you might, you might actually 
be able to help some other people because you know in in rehab you do lots of group therapy yeah and um so it 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 was that was the first time that that seed was planted Mm -hmm. um but it it really it, it really came out of walking through my own journey and my own woundedness mm-hmm. um, just led me to the path of wanting to do for other people what mm-hmm. had been done for me mm-hmm. um, because I was given to very graciously at different points in my life. Um, and honestly, you know, th- I know you're not asking this question, mm-hmm. um, but part of what made me want to be able to sit with and help people of color. I told you this last night. Um, and I grew up in a, a privileged family mm-hmm. and um, I'm born in 67 and we had a maid mm-hmm. and Irma loved me and saved my soul. Mm-hmm. And I desperately wanted to be able to to give back mm-hmm. some of what was given so freely and unselfishly mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And Irma was the maid in your home. Yes. Yeah. Is she still alive? She is. In fact, after I talked about her last night, I went and looked her up. She's 92. Um, so I think I've got a phone call I need to make. Yeah. I, it's been a long time. It's probably been about 10 years. Yeah. Um, well, shout out Miss Irma. Yes. If you happen to listen to this She's episode, a beautiful soul. We bless you, Miss Irma. Expect a call from Leslie Fye coming soon. Yes. <laughs> um, oh my God. I just love y'all. Thank y'all so much for just being on the show. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel like we need to do before we close? We need to say, um, is there something that you guys want to share for just black women in general? Um, I guess the one thing I would say is just consider your mental health as important as your physical health. Um, Because I I think that when you're not taking care of your mental health, it can actually have an impact on your physical health. And Mm. so I think if you think of yourself as a whole being, body, mind, spirit is all really important. And on a really practical level, I would say that if you don't know where to start in terms of finding a therapist, it can be really helpful just to call your states. Um, like, for example, in Georgia, there's a Georgia Psychological Association, and you can call for a referral service and tell them like what your challenges are. And a lot of times they can suggest someone for you. Um, and, and so don't let the overwhelm prevent you from reaching out and finding the sort of help that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Leslie. I can't add anything better to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Black Women and Therapy with Dr. Patricia Thompson and Leslie Fye. We'll be right back with these three things. If you like what you've been hearing today, I encourage you to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave a review and tell me what you loved about this episode. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast. I am with Executive Coach Dr. Patricia Thompson, licensed therapist Leslie Fye. I am Sharana Reeves and it is time for these three things. Number one, emotional intelligence starts at home.
Executive coach Dr. Patricia Thompson defines emotional intelligence as having a good sense of self-awareness, knowing your strengths, opportunities, triggers, how you respond under stress, and developing the tools to regulate yourself. Then socially being able to understand others, identify their emotions, and empathize with them. Queens, kings, and good people. Have you ever met someone who treats their family and loved ones horribly, but treat their coworkers, friends, and people at church like queens and kings and good people? Dr. Patricia says that being emotionally intelligent as a leader is a great quality to have in the workplace because those you lead feel valued and appreciated. As leaders in our family and homes, do we have the same mindset? Does everyone in our household feel valued and appreciated? Parents, are we sending our children out into the world every day feeling seen, heard, and validated? What about our spouses? Does your spouse feel valued, appreciated? Well, depending on how you honestly answer, Some of us may have some emotional intelligence work to do at home. If you find you are falling short identifying your triggers or having the tools to regulate yourself, I encourage you to connect with a great therapist or executive coach and get the help you need. As a leader, the most important people we will lead are the people in our homes. If being well-liked and respected as the leader at work makes those you lead more productive and successful, think about how powerful your emotional intelligence can impact your family and the energy in your home. If you're not sure where you land on the emotional intelligence spectrum and you see opportunities where you can improve, take the quiz on Dr. Patricia's website, silverliningpsychology.com, and get to work. Number Two, it's okay. It's not okay. It's okay to admit you're not always okay. It's okay to realize that you don't have the tools to deal with some areas in your life. It's okay to say you're broken, hurt, sad, depressed, angry, or traumatized. It's okay to say, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy. I feel unlovable. It's okay to admit your shame and how you struggle to move past it. It's okay to admit, I'm not the best leader. Really, it's okay. It's not okay to pretend as if you are okay. It's not okay to ignore your brokenness, hurt, sadness, depression, anger, or trauma. It's not okay to allow shame's terrible grip to hold you hostage. It's not okay to damage those who love you 
because you are damaged. It's not okay to continue to lead unsuccessfully and damage those you've been given to lead. It's not okay to put your needs last and suffer in silence. Psychologytoday.com, betterhelp.com, silverliningpsychology.com, love, big, big love. Dot com are just a few of many places you can get the help you need. Don't overthink it. And please don't worry about what they might think or say either. You are worth it. You deserve to be everything you want to be. You are not alone. Get online today and get the help that you need because it's okay to realize that you're not okay. Number three, self-care is mandatory. Queens, kings, and good people, by a show of hands, just raise your hand right there where you are right now. How many of you grew up with a parent or parents that always put themselves last. If you raised your hand, I hate to tell you that what your parents thought was the right thing actually wasn't. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not judging your mama. The reality for many of us as black women is that we weren't taught to see ourselves and our self-care as priority. Really? This mentality dates back to times when black women were responsible to take care of everything and everybody except ourselves. And as a result, many of us grew up seeing our grandparents and parents in bad health. Again, I'm not judging our ancestors. We did what we had to to provide and survive back then. But thank God today, Much has changed for us, and just like as life evolves, we must do the same. You can't be good to anybody for real if you aren't good to yourself first. What you speak to yourself, how you treat yourself, how you feed yourself, how you clothe yourself, how you cater to your needs is your first priority. Now listen, I'm not advocating neglecting those who you are accountable to, but I am advocating that you see yourself and your needs as important as those you are accountable to. A healthier you, a happier you, a confident you, girl, a fly you is a much better example to pass on. Your pod work for this week is to implement three self-care things you will do every week just for you. You pick the day, you pick the time, however you want to do it, and let me know what you're doing at these three things podcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear what you're doing. That's it. Thank you for listening to Black Women in Therapy with executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson and licensed therapist and my therapist, 
Leslie Fye. So awesome to have Leslie on the show. She will be on more episodes coming out in the future. Uh, I hope that something that we said in this episode helped you and will push you into therapy if that's where you need to be, because it's okay. Please join me and Leslie Fye tomorrow, June 23rd on Instagram at 830 Eastern, 730 Central to discuss part two of this episode and much more. And I'll see you next week with a new episode of These Three Things.